turn to um, John 13. Today is the first day of the week, or first Sunday of the month, right? And we are back in the Sermon on the Mount. Not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Upper Room Discourse. Sorry, getting my lines crossed. Where they celebrated the very first supper. And we're hearing, or wanting to take this time to hear what Christ said to them uh, each first Sunday. And right now in chapter 13, we're setting the table for it. Uh, there's a reason why Christ says in John 14:1, let not your heart be troubled. It's because what happened in chapter 13 was troubling. It was traumatic. <laughs> and we're still dealing with just the first part of that. We're still dealing with the, uh, with the fact that Christ has announced that there is a betrayer among them. That one of them is not clean. One of them is going to lift up his heel against him. And he's going to go on and even say more. He's going to tell them this, and then January 1st we'll deal with this. He's going to tell them, I'm going away. That's troubling, right? And then he's going to even get more trouble, and he's going to turn to Peter and say, you're not going to stand, Peter. You're going to fail. And, of course, historically we know he said it to all. That's, that's not the kind of sermon we want to hear, right? That uh, we're going to, that Christ is going away. If you put yourself in that aspect where they had all these hopes, all these aspirations, and he says, okay, one of you is a traitor, I'm going away, and you all are going to fall. And then he gets into the sermon in chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. So he's going to deal with the trauma, but right now we're just we're working our way in the scene at the table. As they first took wine, as they first took the bread and broke it, this was the context. We finished last time. Let's go ahead and read all together. He says in verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he that receives me receives him that send me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And this troubled him. It says, Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom he spoke. Who is it? Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it, was, who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying, and the idea was here that he drew closer to Christ. Where before he was simply reclining towards Christ, here he is, here he is then lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? That's where we left off the first Sunday of last month. How, and we saw that John 
and Peter demonstrate to us a proper recourse to dealing with a doubt of our own faithfulness. They looked to Christ and they relied on one another. And now Christ is going to go on and he's going to answer the question. Let's read there starting in verse 26 and we'll read on through 30. Jesus answered and said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop or a morsel of bread. When I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, then Jesus, that Jesus said to him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or before the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Jesus is dealing here with the mystery of perdition or apostasy. Or as we talked about last week, um, now my mind went blank. Uh, For Sunday school, we were talking reprobation. First, I want to just notice just peripherally some things here. Uh, The answer is founded on Scripture. When he says, he it is to whom I give the sop, he's already referring or making the scriptural reference that he had just made uh, just a few verses prior when he talked about uh, in verse 18... He that eats bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. What the scriptures say. He is really just reiterating that, right? It's to whom I give the sop. The morsel of bread dipped in the oil or the sour wine. So he is referencing already back to scripture. Jesus literally answered that one, John, and he, said, and he gives an absolute identity to who the betrayer was. I think if one was to give a title to this, there is a phrase that is uh, in the King James English here, sounds a little funny to us, receiving the sop. And it's repeated four times. Here And if you were to give a title to this, we would just simply call it Receiving the Sop. Uh, and it's repeated four times. I want to go through the four times just real quick. He says, it's first, it is given by Christ as an immediate prophecy that the one to whom Christ will dip the sop and give it to will be that one that betrays. So it's given as a sign or an immediate prophecy in verse 26. You see that, right? 
The first part of that. And then the second, it is given as a sign immediately to Judas in which Christ dips the sop or the morsel and gives it to him. Then, or th- th- there are minor variations, and they're not even worth talking about. Uh, that word dip is related to that word baptize, uh, or whether it's future or a temporal participle, or I don't know. There are minor variations, but none of them affect the text. The prophecy and the sign were an immediate response to Peter's question in verse 26. So we have the prophecy and then the sign. The prophecy and then the sign. And it's a response to Peter's question and John's anxious request. Therefore, we learn that the doctrine of reprobation is an instruction to God's people. And we want to talk about that. That's going to be my first point here in a second. It's an instruction to God's people. And then we have the third time that this receiving the sop is mentioned. And that is... It is the use of the term seemed to be for Judas himself in verse thirty in verse twenty seven, where it says, "And after the sop, Satan entered into him." Where we see Judas in time receive what Christ had, and then it says, it describes Jesus sending him away. This is the point of no return for Judas. And we know historically that what preceded this was all everybody questioning and saying, Lord, is it I that's betraying you? Is it me that's the betrayer? Is it me that's the apostate? And Judas himself says, Lord, is it I? And what did Jesus say then? He says, you have said it. Your mouth said has condemned you. You have declared the matter yourself. So therefore, I'm going to say that this receiving of the sop is a warning for the sinner. And then we have the final time that the phrase is used, and that's in verse 30, after we talk about the ignorance of the church about what was going on. The historical effect of the unfolding plan where Judas receives the sop and he goes out. And it says, and it was night. I want to talk about that phrase a little bit because Jesus says as long as it's day, we're going to continue. We can walk in the day, but the night is coming. Where Christ would tread the winepress of God's wrath alone. Therefore, the third point that we'll talk about, not only do we see that reprobation is a doctrine that is an instruction to God's people, not only will we see that the reprobation is a warning to the sinner, but we will see that it is a theological tool of God bringing about His will. And we're going to deal with that in verse 30. Before we get into these three points, and hopefully they'll make sense as we get into them, We should ask what the sign receiving the sop signified. What we're talking about is when we're talking about a sop, anybody like uh, going to, um, to, what's that Italian restaurant? Carabas. 
You know, they'll go to Carabas and they'll bring that bread out and they'll bring the oil and some spices and put it in a little plate and, and you'll dip the bread in the oil and the spices. That's kind of the idea today uh, where you'll have this sop that you're going to dip it in. That they're, they're, uh, the language is or it's the idea that you're taking this bread and they were dipping it in some oil, some oil and spices or they were dipping it most likely into wine or a sour wine to give flavor to the bread. And this is the only time this practice is talked about in the New Testament. However, there are two references to it in the Old Testament. One is the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2 verse 14, Ruth and the other reapers came in and ate what Boaz had supplied for them. And in so doing, he, he gave them bread and, and a sop to dip in. And the same, in, and it is the dipping of a piece of bread in, in that instance. Jo, Job insinuated that he provided such in Job 3.17 uh, to orphans at his table. The immediate context tells us that this is related to the prophetic truth of the betrayal of Christ Himself in verse 18. The Expositor's Greek Testament says, The very mark Jesus chooses to single out the one that was betraying Him was, the ordinary, was, was a mark of distinctive favor. He ate my bread. Right? So, the same bread of communion that you and I are going to take today was that that was sitting at the table eaten by a traitor. What are these signs of? The goodness of God. The favor of God towards us in the most extreme form, Him giving His very life and we partake of it. So what does it signify? In Matthew, Christ is reported to saying that, that it was a common dish shared. It says in Matthew 26, 23, He that dips his hand with me in the dish. There was a communion there. Uh, the same shall betray me. Luke talks about it being highlighted by fellowship. Behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on the table. So when we're talking about receiving the sop, we're talking about partaking of the goodness of God. We think about here Hebrews chapter 6 when it talks about those once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. If they shall fall away to renew them again repentance, seeing they have crucified the Son of Man afresh and put Him to an open shame. We get those ideas coming to our head of what apostasy really looks like. One that enjoys what Christ has provided but then betrays Him. So this is about communion. This receiving the sop is a symbol of communion. The very act that we repeat was once enjoyed by Judas. We repeat it to remind our communion of Christ, but there are often people that take of this bread and take of this wine in the same way Judas did. I think it's very apt as a sign that is used here as we watch the unfolding of reprobation before our eyes. 
Therefore, reprobation is given as an instruction to the people of God. It was an answer to the question. As long as we partake with Christ at His table, we will know all of its tribulations, by the way. Who is it, they said? Who is it? That is the question of the disciples. The answer is, Christ says, one here at the table with me. Isn't that a surprise? You know, reprobation or apostasy is a phenomenon of the church. Not everybody that joins a church is a saved person. Amen? Not everybody that say, not, not everybody that, say, that, that visibly is part of the church belongs to Christ. So I hope you're not hanging your hat on that. If somebody says, why are you saved? And you're not, you're not saying, well, I'm part of the church. I joined the church. I got baptized. Or something to that effect. Among those that call Christ Lord will be those who falsely call Him Lord. Uh, there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, have we not? They eat at His table. They partake of His bread. They dip in His sop. And by all accounts appear to be part of His elect people. They call Himself by them. They call themselves His disciples. They call Him themselves Christians. They call themselves these names and they wear them and, and, and they go around in the garbs of Christianity. But they're not. We rest in the fact that God knows them that are His. So this doctrine is no, by no means meant to make us sit around and doubt Christ. He knows also those that are, that are not approved of Him. He knows every single person here and whether or not they truly are His. Because He knew who Judas was. He always knew who Judas was. Have not John 6, this is the very beginning of his ministry, or towards the beginning, he says, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He allows them to take part in his ordinances. In the same way that we break the bread today, and we get sinned and we pass out the cup, and we say, Drink every one of you of it. He allows them as tares to grow among His wheat and will not allow the, uh, allow the tares to be uprooted now lest the wheat be uprooted as well. So it's instruction to the, to the saint. It's also a warning to the sinner. I want to read this quote from the pulpit commentary at length. Judas had been dipping his hand in the same dish with his master, eating his bread. Instead of resenting such effrontery, the blessed Lord gave him in pity the last opportunity to escape. But he puts the morsel sopped in the acid wine, the bread of fellowship into his very lips, and the miscreant received it. The name of Judas and of his father and of the place cursed by being his birthplace are once more introduced at length. Here, John continues. 
after the sop, verse 27, Satan entered into him. Luke gave Luke gave a non-chronological of this count in Luke 22:3 of Satan entering into him when he went rather to the uh, Pharisees. But here we just read Jesus Christ's response. At, after the sop Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now, then we see the church's ignorance of everything going on. See, it's not always obvious to us what reprobation looks like, just like it wasn't obvious to them. It says, Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag, and so on and so forth. And we read that account. Jesus is revealing, though, to Judas at this very moment in time who Judas is. In a sense, Jesus is here giving him over to Satan. You see that, right? He gave him the sop, and immediately Satan entered. We've, we've heard that phrase before. Turn him over to Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Paul talked about giving, uh, giving uh, Alexander and the other guy, uh, I can't remember the name of the other man, over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We've heard this phrase before. Here we see it in its fullness. Prior to this, like I said a second ago, G- Judas gave his final mock to Christ. Can you imagine? Here Jesus says, one of you is a betrayer. And Judas knows that he was talking about him. Stands up and says, Lord, is it me? I don't know how you interpret that. Here's here's how I interpret it. The last chance to repent slipped out of Judas' fingers. A final mock to the center note. God's not mocked. It's serious every moment. The sinner continues unrepentant. And you never know. Because Judas is going to continue for a little while longer, right? And he's even later going to try to repent. And won't be able to. Like Esau, right? Esau found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Read Hebrews 12. To the sinner then, here's the warning. God's not mocked. And if you know that you're not right with Christ, and you sit under the opportunity to repent and refuse... And pretend hypocritically that it's not you, knowing that it is. 
your last opportunity of repentance may be slipping through your fingers. Prior to this moment, there was a space of repentance. I believe that with all my heart. But in the mock act of fellowship, he reached the end of his common grace. And Christ hands him over. And Christ sends him away. Go quickly. What you're doing, go. Again, the impersonal demonstrative. Satan entered into that one. The choice of Christ to give the morsel to Judas came before Satan entered. And the Greek, it reads with a stronger cause and effect, action and result. After the morsel, then Satan entered. You know, it's just very simple. When you're reading this verse 27, Christ gave Judas over. You know, Satan couldn't do anything without permission from Christ. Satan, or Satan could not, in the book of Job, do anything until Yahweh, Lord, gave him leave. Right? You're witnessing the same thing in this text. The sovereignty of Christ answers the very authority of God here. What are you seeing? You're seeing the authority of God in Christ. Okay, Judas, here. Judas receives it as if he was in fellowship. And then he sovereignly says and commands, there is an imperative here. It's not passive. He says, what you're doing, do. There's the imperative. Do it. Do it quickly. We see Christ's judgment. It's, and it's all unbeknownst to so everyone else that's sitting here, and we'll get to that in a second. No one else knew it. Judas did. And by the way, your ability and your seeming opportunity to continue in your sin may seem like a blessing now. Amen? But all judgment is given to the Son. Those who, like Judas, continue without repentance will hear Christ say the same thing to them eventually. Go ahead. Go on. How did the book end? Revelation 22. Let the filthy be filthy still. What course you are presently doing in the indicative, because that's the first part, that you are doing what you are doing, that's the present indicative, present tense, becomes a complete and final imperative. Do completely and finally. That's judgment. 
be what you are. You know, we have these descriptions of the sinner. The adulterer, the idolater. That's what they became. That's what they completely and finally are in the Scriptures. The liar, the drunkard, so on and so forth. You are presently acting contrary to Christ. Let that be your state. Permanently. Let it be so without any further resistance, without any further delay. Do quickly. This is, I mean, when you think about the words as they are, as you're, they are unfolding, these are heavy. And we haven't even reached a great white throne yet. We've just reached a moment in history where it became too late for somebody. Amen? That's what we're reading. I, I, I know this is not very, very uh, comfortable speech, but this is what we're reading. Judas was now turned over to Satan. If there is anybody, any sinner, I would say, any sinner among us today who pretends fellowship, repent while there's opportunity. The last word of unre- imagine the last word of unrepentant Judas to Christ was is his eye. How different would Judas' story if he would have just at that moment switched those words around? And said, it is I. The word of God would have been fulfilled some other way. Words of God cannot be broken. But you wonder. That's not how it that, that happened in history. And it gave rise to the judgment of Christ to become forever the betrayer. The time of Satan is short and judgment comes quickly. What that thou doest, do quickly. The doctrine of reprobation does not preclude guilt. Judas was overwhelmed with grace at the moment he became completely and finally the betrayer of Christ. But chose rather to to hear the voice of the devil. How did this whole chapter begin? Chapter 13 here in verse 2, it says, Satan now putting into the heart of Judas that he should betray him. Now it becomes a complete and final act. And he's now fully turned over to the adversary. It's interesting. I think it's, it's worth noting. In verse 2 of this chapter, the devil having put into his heart. That's that word, diablos. That's, that's, that's a slanderer, the one that speaks against. Here it's Satan is the name that is used. That's enemy. Now the enemy's in his heart. Adversary. 
You know, we see the authority of Christ in stories about Him casting out devils. At one point, He cast devil out of that of the demoniac of Gadara. But He also cast those devils into something. We see the absolute authority here of this, almost a reverse exorcism. He who can cast Satan out can cast Satan in. Something should be said here about the mystery of the mystery of this to the uh, that was apparent in the church, and we have to because that's what the text does. Here it says, "No one knew at the table." You know, we 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 tend to believe the best about people who are unrepentant. Why? Because we tend to just take people at face value. Oh, he says he's a Christian. Great. I must be okay. We get that in a lot of, a lot of funeral preaching, right? <laughs> he, 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 he may have lived like a devil, but uh, you know, once, once upon a time at a, at a camp meeting, he, he walked forward and raised his hand, uh, so he's, he's probably all right. But, uh, but, but we tend to believe the best about people. We're, we're quick to judge that we believe them to be saved, that it's all okay, when they, when they continue in an unrepentant state. Reprobation is not a work of God that's easily read by the faithful. So it was with the early church. John knew about the entering of Satan, but he didn't know when, he, when it was actually happening. He knows by matter of revelation afterwards when he wrote this book. And the Holy Spirit moved him to write those words. So he says, no man at the table knew. That includes John. John didn't know. Peter didn't know. The rest of them didn't know. There was an obvious discussion. Because they're talking about betrayers. And here's Judas is sent out. Then there, there was obvious discussion. The troubled church was mauling over the idea that even Judas might be a traitor. Well, geez, Judas just sent out. I mean, he went out, but... But they, and they reasoned together, and then they said, well, there's no reason to doubt Judas. No reason to doubt his profession. It says, for some of them thought, because they were reasoning this out. Yeah, wait a second, there's, there's nothing wrong with Judas. Remember, he's got the bag, and obviously uh, he's doing something. By the way, this is proof that uh, the Passover had not yet arrived. Okay, so we're not talking about, they were not eating the Passover. They were eating a common meal together because they thought, well, it's the day of preparation, so he might be going out to buy something for the feast. So the feast hasn't got there yet. Um. And the shops are still open. They're not, celebrate, they're, they're not celebrating the first day of the feast yet. Still the day of preparation. And they said, what better thing? I mean, the shops are still open. It's night. The sun is set. Uh, he, he, the shop, so he's got to be going and buying things that we need. 
because he's got the bag. And they wanted to, or, or he might be keeping the law because it talks about us providing for the poor. And in fact, Nehemiah kind of gave that instance of, uh, of the keeping of the fast over and the giving to the poor. There are beggars out there. There are people that are literally destitute and cowering and crouching in need. And it was common for the Lord to send Judas to give them something, apparently. So whether for liturgy, buying things for the feast, or for charity, they were ready to believe good of the unrepentant. And that's fine. I, I think that's the way it is. I don't know if anybody's saved but me. I really don't. And every once in a while, it might be good for me to question some of you, and it might be good for you to question me, too. Just by way of reminder to examine ourselves. But they couldn't read the mysterious sovereign work, and we still can't. In fact, the only way they even knew about Judas is he went out and never came back. Sometimes that's the only way we know. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us but it became manifest that they weren't of us, 1 John 2.19. Judas may not have been fully aware himself of what it meant. After all, he's going to expect that he could still repent later, right? He's going to try. He repent to himself, and then when, they, when, when he can't give the money back, when he can't take it all back, when he can't wash it all away himself, he'll go hang himself. So it might not have even been completely clear to Judas. But we do know it wasn't clear to those reclining still with Christ. I want to end here by talking about the broader issue, and that's in verse 30. The last mention of this receiving of the sop. He then receiving, he then having received, perfect tense, the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. This happened in history. The historic effect of the unfolding plan of redemption. What is reprobation? Well, it's a theological tool of God to bring about His will. How do, I, how do you see that in this text? I want to explain. The act of receiving the morsel, a symbol of grace and friendship, marked Judas completely and finally as a traitor and an apostate. But when he received the morsel or the sop, however you want to say it, he fulfilled the word of Christ that he had just said. It's, a, it's written in the scripture that this will happen. The one that eats bread with me will raise his heel against me. And following that, he went out from Christ. What did he go out to do? He went out to gather the soldiers to lay their hands upon a Christ and take him to the judgment where he would then be taken to the cross, where he would then be taken to the tomb, where he would rise. Acts tells us all this happened according... You with wicked hands have taken and destroyed. We have, but God, according to His determinate counsel and foreknowledge, did all this. Let me put it in perspective. You're going to glorify Christ one way or another. Amen? And Judas was going out to glorify Christ. Not the way he had planned. He was even obeying the command of Christ. Do it. 
He was glorifying glorifying the sovereignty of Christ when he went out. He went out, but it wasn't to enjoy his gold. It was to do what was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He went out to do his own will, empowered by Satan, who who was doing his own devices, all to accomplish the will of God. Why, 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 is, why, why do I come to this conclusion? Because here we have a simple declaration that seems a little odd. It just ends this little phrase, or it, would, it ends with this little phrase, and it was night. Now, those who walk in the night will stumble, and obviously Judas has gone forward to stumble and offend. Now, when we talk about it's night, we do. It was physically night. Um, the night had actually come, the day of preparation, and he was off out there preparing, according to some people's thoughts about what Judas might have been doing. And we don't know why he went out there in the night. Fear of discovery, maybe zeal of his work, but we know it was physically night. The meal that they had eaten in the evening time had passed and the watches of the night had begun. That's a physical truth. But John is presenting this as a fact connected with what came before it. Judas, Satan entered into Judas. Judas was commanded to Christ to go. Judas received a sop. Judas went out and it was night. What is, what, what is this saying? It's simply this. If we, connect, if we connect it to everything that came before, Christ's time had now come. He says as much in the following verse, because what, what does he say? Therefore, when he was gone out, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. We see the connection contextually with this little phrase, And it was night. He he said before in John chapter 12, he says, What shall I say? Father, keep me from this hour, but it's for this hour that I came. That hour had come. He worked while it was day in John 9, 4, but says the night is coming. It was to be a long night for sure. That would finish with the dawn of the resurrection, but this was that hour. This was that time. And it was all set in motion by Jesus handing him the sop. And it was the hour he said he said before they could never touch him. But he says. Before the Sanhedrin in Luke twenty two fifty three, this is your hour and the power of darkness. But it was leading to him conquering darkness. It was leading him to making an open show of the powers of darkness. Colossians two fifteen. It was and it was night is leading to the rising of the Son of Righteousness, who would have healing in his wings. What am I saying? I'm saying this is all working according to God's sovereignty.
I hope we see that these precious truths. I hope we see the instruction that there is in all this for the believer. I hope we see the warning there is in here for the sinner. But I hope when we read this passage, I hope we see the greatness of our God that was working all things and even using Judas for His glory, even using Satan to bring about all this that you and I could be saved. I hope you receive something. We'll now take the Lord's Supper.